Hello, everyone. This is Tom Muran, and I'm here with the Gruck. G'day, Gruck. G'day, Tom. We're here for another Between Two Nerds discussion. And first of all, I'd like to thank Ubico for sponsoring this week's episode. I have a discussion with Ubico's Derek Hansen all about passkeys out on the channel this week. So we thought we'd talk about the history of threat intelligence and how the whole industry has changed, essentially because talking about sophisticated actors, including states, is just really, really good marketing. <laughs> so that's we'll talk about issues related to that. And we were talking earlier, and I was asking you for your perspective around the APT1 report. So in recap, mm -hmm. the APT1 report was a Mandiant report released in... 2013, Ooh. so over 10 years ago now. Yeah, that was a, that was a very long time ago. That basically revealed how the Chinese PLA had been involved in a whole lot of intellectual property theft. I remember at the time it was quite stunning because it had photos of the buildings that they were working mm -hmm. from, had quite a lot of colourful detail. But prior to that, the industry of threat intelligence was totally different. Is that right? Yeah. So like, as I remember it before the APT1 report, like basically all of the security firms would have a research department or they would encourage their people to do research. And the point of that was to some degree to be able to publish your research as a way of doing marketing to show sort of like we are at the top edge. Like we are the top security people doing stuff. And for a long time, that was vulnerability research and similar things to that, you know, like here's bugs that we found and we've gotten them fixed because we're good security players and then blah, 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 and, and so on. And the, the APT1 report came out and shifted the game to being like, you don't have to just find bugs. You could actually expose threat actors and campaigns and operations and talk about how they operate and what they do and use that to sort of not only expose bad actors and hopefully uh, deter them or at least burn their tooling. <laughs> but, but more importantly, get more customers, right? Well, you know, if that <laughs> happens, then it's certainly not a bad thing. But <laughs> well, what was interesting is mm. you said the word expose bad actors, right? So if you're... That that implies a value judgment on well, what here, is going on. I think I think you actually can because if you look at who gets exposed, there's very <laughs> much a value judgment going on. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? So I think there's some actors that everyone could probably agree are bad, and those would be uh, criminals and mm -hmm. terrorists. Mm -hmm. Not quite everyone, but probably all states. <laughs> all states could agree. Uh, uh, depends on what you mean by criminal and terrorist, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even even Russia is against criminals, although they, they define them differently than we do. But. Yeah. Let, let's move on from the definition of criminal and terrorist. <laughs> Else we'll be here all day. Um, <laughs> and so, for example, Mandiant in APT1 defined the PRC and intellectual property theft as the badness, right? They're explicitly right. making a choice. Right. And for the US, 
that was to a large degree because they look at stealing from a commercial actor to give to your own commercial actors so that they have an economic benefit is bad espionage. Stealing from someone else's government to give to your government to beat them down on a trade deal so that you have an economic benefit is like all's fair and love and war sort of stuff. Like that's just how it's played. Yeah, yeah. So the two countries there, the US and China, are playing (laughs) each with a different set of rules. We, I mean, we had a whole discussion about the ethics <laughs> of intellectual property theft. But based on that discussion, that is very much the line that the APT1 report was taking. Yep. Was that uh, what we are reporting on is not, you know, China's attempts at learning military secrets. We're not reporting on China's attempts at doing theft of treaty negotiations or from the State Department and their future plans, whatever. It's none of that. It's very much this purely economic espionage that's entirely out of bounds, that's not allowed because it's it's bad espionage. That was the yeah. approach that they were taking. Yeah, yeah. So very much choosing a position. Now, my impression is that it kind of opened the floodgate for other companies to also talk about those operations. And I guess... Mm-hmm. Mandy, using an American expression, went the whole nine yards. They said, this is happening and this is who is doing it. Whereas a lot of other companies will go, just this is happening without yeah. formally attributing countries, right? There was, well, like, there was a little bit of an orgy of releases that happened around that time. Everyone started producing stuff because that, that coincided very closely with the Snowden leaks, right. which, which changed people's perspective on espionage overall and espionage over the internet. So suddenly there was a commercial benefit to being seen as not part of the government espionage apparatus. Right. So that's that's when we got the equation group report that came out. Yeah, but that was Kaspersky, right? So they Right, but they they also did reports on Russia. Right? Yep. They played everywhere pretty fairly. Yep. I I just want to I want to pick on something I said earlier where how that initial APT1 report was very much about like commercial espionage is bad. Here are bad actors doing bad things. Whereas if you look at, for example, the solar winds event, that was very much a purely state mm-hmm. on state operation. And yet it was still reported in the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from what was, I think, historically a here's the sort of espionage that we're going to ignore because that's considered okay. Or maybe China just doesn't do it. China doesn't care about military secrets or, you know, what the government is doing. <laughs> but it, it, it very much went from the, like, we're reporting on this because this sort of activity is not okay in and of yep. itself, to now the reporting is a lot more, here is activity that's happening. Yep. So it's it's less outrage-driven and more just driven by what's occurring. It feels like the industry has shifted in that. Right. I don't know if the public reporting has shifted alongside. I think the public reporting just, it gets outraged at everything that happens. Right, yeah. I mean, I've always found it fascinating that Kaspersky is, as far as I know, really the only vendor that talks about Western operations all that much. I guess there's a few other examples. Uh, there's Chinese vendors that have started to do it now, or cybersecurity yeah. firms, not vendors. Yeah, so like the thing is, what the Chinese are doing with with that when they're putting that stuff out is that they're trying to establish a baseline of like 
the pot calling the kettle black. Like, you know, like you accuse us of doing espionage and here we can see that you have been doing espionage. And in fact, you've been doing it for a lot longer than we have because this is very yeah. old stuff that we're showing. So no one has clean hands in this. Yeah, so that feels kind of state-directed or state-endorsed, whereas the mm -hmm. Kaspersky stuff feels like, at least back then, it was just Kaspersky doing right. Kaspersky things to me. <laughs> yeah, I, so I think as well, back then, they had a very international team. Mm -hmm. It had a very wide breadth of people who were involved. And it's, it's fascinating because some of the reporting that came from that era, like Flame and some of the Dooku stuff that came out, there hasn't been reporting since then to match that level of detail on sophisticated... Okay, well, I guess Snake kind of got some of that, but maybe not quite as much as Flame. But, you know, it sort of set this high point of exposure, I think, where they were going after, like, the top-tier actors and showing top-tier actor tools, techniques, and procedures completely transparently. And I think these days it's become a lot more circumspect. Because Spursky has, or just in general? Everyone, everyone, right? So there, there was a sort of brief period where it seemed like it was a good idea to expose something, explain exactly how it worked, and then say, look, it could have been literally any North American country <laughs> except for maybe Mexico or Canada. <laughs> and that's, that's when we got, I think it was the Barbar report on the, the French espionage. And somehow the French have never done cyber since then. Surprisingly enough, I guess it works. They got so embarrassed by that one report, they just gave it up altogether. Right. So I can think of one Western example where they blew an operation. That was when mm -hmm. Google outed counterterrorism operation. So we briefly talked about that a while ago, just mm -hmm. sort of discussing the rights and wrongs of that. Uh, I guess the way I'd describe that is that they <laughs> chose the internet over the country's law enforcement efforts and we had the discussion about that but that happens very rarely yeah um it happens more rarely because there have been these sort of incidents right so it's all fun and games until someone loses a counter-terrorism operation you know right there's sort of this the sense of like well if you're hacking things and we're against hackers then we can expose you because we caught you and you're just inherently doing a thing that we don't agree with and we, we think is bad. And then because states tend to do hacking, not just because they find it fun, but because they have like an actual purpose behind it. Well, I mean, I guess in a well-run government, it should be a justifiable purpose, at least right. to in, some reasonable person. Right. So, okay. Let's say in theory. They're yeah, not in necessarily, theory. That's, that's fair it, enough. They're not just yep. doing it for fun. They're oh, doing it yeah. because there's an, an operation that needs to be done for some state purpose. As far as I know, that's happened the one time. Uh, I think Kaspersky also blew or outed a counterterrorism operation. So like there's the Google one where they outed something where there was like 15 O-days or whatever. Yeah. And it was never traced back. Like it, it feels like a Western operation to me. I can't remember if I've written about it. There was reporting in the MIT Technology Review by Patrick Howell O'Neill, mm -hmm. where he talked about them disrupting that operation, making that decision unilaterally, and it was some Western unnamed country. Mm -hmm. But yeah. as far as I know, it hasn't happened again from Google. So I wonder 
well, do you think that they got? Uh, I don't know if they got a talking to. Well, I, that was the word I was going to use. That doesn't seem right. I think if I was in government, I probably would have said, "Hey, this is what we were doing. Here's the reasons why we were doing it." And, you know, can you tell us beforehand and we can have a discussion about the equities? Their blood is on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could yeah. absolutely see some bureaucrats doing that. There are some people who are absolutely brutal about that kind of thing. And, and they might have had reason as well. Yeah. People who work for the state in those sorts of jobs tend to be very patriotic, very mission driven, and tend to very much believe in what they're doing. Right. It attracts that sort of person. Right. I mean, and if you're attracted by like a large paycheck, you're going to go somewhere else. If, if on the other hand, like you're not necessarily attracted by money, but by, you know, doing the right thing, that can be a great place for you. And so when someone interferes with that, you can take it very, very badly. Like, yep. why are you helping the terrorists? You know, do you hate life and liberty? You know, like what's... So yeah, I could absolutely see that happening. And I tend to suspect that you're right. It wouldn't be the, you know, you are killing people, but much more of a, the reason we were doing this is because there was a serious threat to life that yeah. you know, we were monitoring over here. And that sort of disruption that you've caused could potentially lead to, you know, serious problems, fatalities and so on. Next time, could you please talk to us and we can discuss this? And yeah, as you were saying, and I, I suspect that the the benefit that Google gets from exposing that versus the uh, pain of having to talk to the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the benefit they get is they feel like that's their job, right? At least certain people in that organization. Oh, I think yeah, they, it was- they're very mission-driven in their own way as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, and they they are, you know, ideologically motivated just as much as people for government are ideologically motivated. Yeah, yeah. So what I think is fascinating about this whole discussion is that I think that the rise of the publicity surrounding threat intelligence has been actually really good for the industry and public discourse and education about what's going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wouldn't have this job if that hadn't happened. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't be talking. So, But at the same time, it's this kind of groundswell change in the environment that's driven entirely, is it entirely? I guess that's a good question, entirely by commercial motivations. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about it is great for business. We've got these big geopolitical things going on, and somewhere behind it all is like a marketing budget. Right? <laughs> that's like <right>. that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I find that very peculiar, and I think it's actually very telling about the infosec industry as a whole. Even though we have these sort of altruistic motivations and things like that, the fact is that it's it's sort of bankrolled because it's good for business. Yeah, This stuff happens because... It is good for a company to have this sort of publicity around what they've exposed or what they've found and so on. And in a way, that's kind of depressing. Well, the other thing I was thinking is that because they're driven to report about it, they're also driven to make choices about what to report. And so Mm. I think it forces companies to pick sides. Yeah. And so there's kind of different levels of that. One is, what are you going to report on? The other is how far are we going to spell out who's responsible? 
And mm-hmm. I don't see many companies, barring those exceptions we've talked about, that aren't being sort of explicitly on, it's sort of broader than the five eyes, but Western yeah. democracies. It's, and then It's very much, here are the, the only three bad actors that hack anything on the internet. <laughs> yes, that's, just, that's probably a better way to say it. <laughs> Uh, as far as we know, no one else has any cyber. However, when we do, you know, like, here's everyone who does all of the hacking, right? These three countries. <laughs> now, when we do a list of all of the cyber powers, we're going to put America at the top. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always a little bit, uh, a little bit amusing the way that that works out. But I do find it interesting how some of the other threat intel companies, not necessarily directly in like the Five Eyes groups. Mm-hmm can sort of go a little bit across the lines and stuff. So I'm, I'm thinking in particular about how earlier, either this year or late last year, uh, Checkpoint came out and they published a report on the APT operations of Ukraine. Right. And that triggered, there was another Western company that responded pretty much immediately after saying like, yeah, we found the same thing. We weren't going to report on it, but now that Checkpoint has published theirs, here's what we saw. Right. And they put theirs out. Like, I remember looking at that very much thinking, like, geez, whose side do you want, guys? Like, right, right. I sort of I bring that up mostly because I feel that during wartime, I think there's a different standard that needs to be applied to. Right. So, if this had been in 2019, say, right. you would have gone, whatever. Possibly an interesting report based on yeah. whatever the technical details were or. Exactly. It's, yeah, yeah, it could go either way. It's interesting or it's boring, but it's based purely on the technical details of the report, not on the context in which it's released. Whereas now... Yeah. Or, or it may have told you something about Ukrainian capabilities, which would have been interesting, perhaps. And now it's you, you yeah. very much feel that it's picking sides in a conflict which you're strongly on the Ukrainian side because it feels like an unjust war. Is that the... Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. But I, I guess the way I see it is that you probably shouldn't get involved in a war unless you're going to get involved in the war, like just right. standing on the sideline and sort of kicking whoever happens to be down at the time is not. Right. So you're saying you should explicitly choose sides if you're going to choose a side at all. It feels like it. It just seems to me that if you're going to help one side or the other, as you see fit, it, it's not really cricket, you know, like that's. Right, right. <laughs> so so Kaspersky reporting on US and Russian activity in a time of no war is kind of fine. It's their choice. Yes. <laughs> but, but in but. a different circumstance, there's, the, I guess, the moral weight or the kind of implications of that are much yeah. more... The, the equities have more weight to them, I think. Right, yeah. There's, there's, the, the decisions that get made have outsized consequences. Right? So I, and yep. I, I feel quite strongly about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Microsoft's written a whole lot about what's happened during the war and not a single thing about Ukrainian activity. <laughs> well, probably because they, they aren't doing anything, you know. They are, <laughs> unlike the bad cyber actors who hack everything, Ukraine is obviously a good cyber actor and isn't hacking anything. It's just yeah, right. <laughs> based purely on all the reporting I can, <laughs> can conclusively state. <laughs> yep, yep. I think we can say that over the last 10 years, the environment in which threat intelligence is produced and how it's released has matured significantly. Right? It's gone from a here, here's the guys, um, you know, here's their their office. Here's a picture of him at a party. 
you know, like <laughs> here's his dorm room, here's his unpaid parking tickets to a threat actor aligned with a Middle East country has been right. doing activity in a Middle East country aligned with more Western. You're sitting there going like, what the, <laughs> whose side is whose? Like what's going on to, I think now one of the, the things that we're seeing is that this, this absolute refusal to ever cluster any activity with an actual APT group. It's always like, here's a cluster of activity that seems to be aligned with someone using a Cyrillic keyboard. Is is that a reflection of a reluctance from the cybersecurity firms, or is it because actors have actually gotten better at using techniques that are less distinguishable or distinct? Yeah, cobalt strike. You know, right. Like yeah. The, the everything yeah. APT. I, I think there's that. And I, I'm I'm sure that at points there have been mistakes made where. Yeah activity from different groups has been clustered together and then assigned to one of them. And if you just never cluster into a group, then you can never get called out on making a mistake. (laughs) So I was wondering what you think is next. So it seems like the world is becoming more polarized. And so that makes me think that perhaps companies will get more comfortable with attribution because, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a cybersecurity company that has a big business in the US, I think you can probably start saying goodbye to that business in China and Russia. (laughs) You can uh, can cut off your Iranian sales team. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So you've got less to lose. Now, I've I've heard Mm -hmm. from some people that part of the reason they don't attribute is just as a personal protection thing, mm-hmm. like why bother if it possibly gets your people more right. risk? And, and also, I, I have to say that there's a little bit of a, so what? Right? Like right. If, if you are a, a business and you have hired a CTI company for their threat intelligence feed, if you know that this sort of activity is what you need to protect against, do you need to know that it's from China or Iran or Russia? Right. Does that help you? in any way more than simply knowing about it as it is. And I think it doesn't. That's my that's right. my opinion. Right, right. So I'm it's happy to be it's proven good. wrong, but yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's it's good for us. <laughs> not, not necessarily yeah. anyone. Won't someone think of actually... between two nerds? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Grant. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom.